Hey, thank you guys for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an unbelievable episode for you guys today. We talk about Mourinho going to Roma. We talk about the Columbus crew getting a rebrand. That's really recent news, as well as our predictions and other news and analysis that we have throughout the episode. But if you like this episode, don't forget to A, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. The links will be down in the show notes below. Give a rating and follow us on wherever you listen to us on. And as always, tell a friend that you like the show. It always helps. And with that out of the way, let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Final Third News and Prediction Monday episode. My name is AJ. I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, U.S. national team and West Ham United fan. I'm joined by Jack. Yeah, and I am a Chelsea fan, Atlanta fan. I'm forgetting Minnesota United, French <laughs> national team and Slovakian national team fan. Yeah, uh, I got I got him eventually. You got him. I don't blame you for uh, forgetting about Minnesota United. They've kind of had a a little bit of a stinker yeah. this this uh, this yeah. past weekend. <laughs> but to be fair, same thing with West Ham United. A lot of my teams have just not been doing pretty well recently. Kind of disappointing. But you know, at least at least Chelsea and Atlanta for me are still doing doing yes. the business. And we're actually going to be talking about Chelsea coming up this episode. But Jack, before we get to anything that we talk about in this episode. I just want to ask you, how are finals going? We're in, I've tweeted this, we are in the bowels, the bowels of finals week here at college. How are you feeling? Uh, Stressed. That's about it. That's that's the best way to describe it. It's stressed. Because I have three exams in three days. So that's going to be, in in air quotes, fun. Yes, it's going to be a lot of air quotes fun. I have one more tomorrow, so uh, that's on Monday at 8 a.m. So less than 24 hours from when we're recording this, I will be completely done with school this year. Very excited for that. Hoping to put some more time, both of us, into the podcast a little bit more. The past two weeks have been hard for us because we've had finals, so that's why uh, these episodes have not been uh, as in-depth as they usually are, and we haven't been tweeting as much or on social media in general because of that. But after that, we'll just be working this summer. We'll be doing the podcast, hanging out with friends. So we'll have the ability to put as much time as we need to into this podcast. But in a way, it's not just finals week for us, but it's finals week for all these different competitions. We got the FA Cup final. We got the DFB Pokal final. We've had some finals wrap up this past couple of weeks. We have some more finals like Champions League final coming up. So it's like finals month for everybody. So we're, we're going to be talking about that. We have five big stories that we talk about on and off the field, some minor ones as well. But then we're going to go into Jack's lower league lowdown. We're going to talk about the EFL championship. I'm going to talk about the USMNT corner, all the big things happening with the U.S. national team. Then we're going to go into the last week's predictions and next week's predictions where we go over and predict some of the biggest games that have happened recently and in the future. Jack, let's get right into the big stories. We've talked on long enough. Let's talk about Syria and a very specific manager going to a specific team. Some might say he's the chosen one. Jack, take it away. Well, yeah, I think the word the word you're looking for is the special one because I think that's what he goes by. Special but Jose one, probably. Mourinho, yeah, Jose Mourinho has already found a new job after being sacked at Tottenham, and he'll be taking charge of Roma for the 2021 to 22 season, and he's getting a three year contract. 
Now, Roma have been in a bit of trouble recently. They used to be Champions League kind of regulars almost and had some great runs in uh, in the Champions League. But in recent years, they've mostly been in the Europa League or not in Europe at all. And recently, they just got embarrassed in Europe by Manchester United. So Jose Mourinho is being brought in to you know uh, try and turn things around next season. He he is very popular in Italy, by the way. Uh, even though his recent outings in the Premier League may not have exactly covered his resume and glory, thinking Manchester United or uh, you know Tottenham, of course, but he is very uh, successful in Italy, where he had a lot of success with Inter Milan, and so he's going to be heading south uh, of there, and instead he's going to be taking charge at the Stadio Olimpico with AS Roma. And, you know, I I think that this can be an interesting signing. I'm not sure how well it'll work because this squad, the Roma squad, needs a lot of rebuilding. Edin Dzeko is still their biggest source of goals, and he's getting up there in age. Pedro, who I loved him when he was at Chelsea, liked him when he was at Barcelona, he's getting old too. There's going to be a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. So Jose Mourinho, could he be the one to turn it around? I'm not sure. So, AJ, that's why I'm going to ask you instead. Uh, is Jose Mourinho going to AS Roma? Do you think that's a good fit? I don't necessarily think it is. I I don't think Mourinho is necessarily a good fit in most places just because his style of football is kind of the antithesis of where the modern game is going. It's kind of conservative, more defensive, kind of relies on individual talents rather than working as a cohesive team as like say a Pep Guardiola team would necessarily uh, have. So I don't really think that's good for AS Roma. I think Roma, they're kind of in this, they're obviously in a rebuilding phase. They need to be, which means they're going to want to invest in younger players. They're going to want to invest in prospects that can lead the club for a long-term period of time. And that's not what he's, that's not a strong suit, right? He's not, he's not strong suit is not bringing up youth players. His strong suit's not necessarily even rebuilding. So do you really want to have a rebuilding team be conducted by Jose Mourinho when that hasn't been something that he's been necessarily good at? I don't even know where Jose Mourinho would be uh, a good fit <laughs> at. Probably a team that's maybe on the cusp of becoming a bigger team. Not not an already big team that's like trying to go for titles, not a rebuilding team, but a team that's kind of in the middle ground right now. <laughs> that, that's that's where I see his fit with Roma. I'm not just saying that because Brian Reynolds is on the team and I highly doubt he's going to get a lot of minutes under Jose Mourinho, especially because Reynolds likes to run ahead, likes to bomb forward, which is... He likes to attack. Yeah, which is the complete opposite of what Mourinho likes. But Jack, do you think this is a good fit? You know, I, I, I'm i not quite sure if it really is. That being said, Roma does have a lot of good talents that, you know, he could potentially get some good out of. And, you know, they've got a decent defensive unit like they've got some decent defenders not maybe the most fantastic of defenders in the world but they've they've got some some players who can you know be good for them and i think Mourinho could transform this into a good defensive team because right now their attack is solid they won five to zero today Mm -hmm. Uh, it was against crotone who are the worst in italy but yes they, they won and you know their their issue isn't as much scoring goals 
that that hasn't really been their issue at all this season. Their big issue is that they give up a lot of goals. They've scored 63 in all competitions, but conceded 53, which is the most out of anyone in the top 11 teams. Uh, and it's, it's one of the highest in like all of the competition right. as well. So I think if, if he can get them playing really just well defensively and getting them good on the counterattack, I think this could be a really good uh, arrangement for them. Maybe we just come to Minnesota United. I there's a oh, chance God. that we'll, we'll have a, a head coach vacancy with with Adrian Heath letting us down for the past four games, but who knows? Who knows? Let's move on to an MLS team, not Minnesota United, but another team that is just like Minnesota United, going through a little bit of a crisis. This time, an identity crisis. This is the Columbus crew potentially getting a rebrand. News has been circulating that the reigning MLS champions, their Columbus crew, are getting a rebrand. And this is after a rebranding to their current logo just seven years ago in 2014. So kind of a a fast turnaround with their current uh, brand. The leaked rebrand includes changing the name to, quote, Columbus SC, so dumping the crew name and changing from their current crest to what looks like a stylized C. I would encourage anyone who is curious to look up the leak. It is out there on Twitter, on Reddit, on social media. The club announced in a statement on Sunday, so the time we're recording this, saying, quote, Recently, images have surfaced depicting a new logo for Columbus Crew SC. The crew and the black and gold remain at our core, and we continue to embrace and respect our heritage while modernizing our marks as our club and the city of Columbus evolve. We look forward to revealing those in their entirety in the near future. A source near uh, the actual ownership said that the rebrand is likely headed by the Haslams who bought the team from Anthony Precourt in 2018. This is coming after the Houston Dynamo, Chicago Fire, and CF Montreal, previously Impact de Montreal, rebranded in the past couple of years. Now, the ownership has said that they're not dumping the crew name entirely, and instead it's going to work kind of interchangeably. We don't know what that means, but it is confirmed that this rebrand is likely to happen. So, Jack, with seeing the leak, with seeing the news around it, what do you think about this rebrand? I think it's gross. It doesn't look nice. Uh, I don't like the new logo. I really mm-hmm. like the current Columbus Crew logo. Yeah. And also getting rid of the crew kind of name. I saw a tweet about this. I can't remember who tweeted it. Uh, but they were talking about how, you know, the name Columbus Crew is kind of a good mix of like, you know, the yeah. classic kind of like names like, you know, Wanderers or Rovers or, or whatever, like in England. The crew is kind of like a modern take on that, that that doesn't come off as like taking that for its own, but also like a kind of paying tribute to that kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I, I liked that. I liked that kind of thing. But uh, uh, presumably they think that's going to get them more money and that's why they're going to do it. So, I mean, uh, it didn't may, maybe if it goes as poorly as the Chicago Fire rebrand did. Yeah, maybe that maybe they'll walk it back two years later, but it looks like they're pretty adamant that this gonna that they're gonna go through with it, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. I think it's one of the better team logos, one of the more aesthetically pleasing ones, at least right now. I, I definitely agree because it kind of mixes. It kind of reminds me of the Bayern logo, Bayern Munich logo, right? Right, exactly. But it has like an American twist on it, and the Columbus Crew, like you said, it's an American twist on a maybe a historical European convention. 
But it's another example of how MLS is afraid slash ashamed of their history. We had a huge Twitter thread about it, got some traction. MLS and MLS teams are obsessed with modernity, with becoming a global brand, while at the same time putting local fans to the dust. It's like they want the league to feel artificial and refuse to embrace the natural traditions that pop up. Hey, people in Columbus literally stopped the relocation of their favorite soccer team with hashtag save the crew. Now the crew is a central part of Columbus's identity. Nope, actually, let's just, yeah, change the name. Render the work those supporters did useless. Hey, people really want the league to invest in the original clubs that made MLS what it is. Nope, actually, only focus on the new shiny expansion teams. Hey, people really love the club's name. They like how it combines European naming conventions and American naming conventions, like Montreal Impact or Columbus Crew. Nope, actually turned into the most unmemorable name, Columbus SC, so that nobody likes or cares about it. That's how we'll grow our brand. It's like MLS is obsessed with becoming unmemorable and forgetting forgettable as possible. And this is the big story with this. If MLS keeps going down this road, we're going to get a huge disconnect between supporters and clubs. If MLS just keeps charging forward with the news cycles of rebrands and new expansion teams, supporters are not going to want to support their club because the club turns backs on their own heritage. It's a dangerous precedent to be set here. And a story that's going to develop in the next few months, are these teams more franchises or clubs? Yes, they're technically MLS franchises, but in terms of how they actually operate. If they're a club, then they serve the community. It means that they're a local, not global brand. If they're a franchise, then they exist only to earn money. And rebrands and, in short, relocations as well are going to be normal. MLS is in its awkward teen phase, and the league is going to need to figure out what it needs to do to gain a foothold in the sporting market here in America. Invest in the product and local communities or rebrand to appeal to the least common denominator. I'm not saying that all rebrands aren't necessarily bad. We The original Columbus Crew rebrand was good. So was Kansas City's. So was the LA Galaxies. But dumping Crew from the name after a grassroots movement around the name happened is not only tone deaf, it's straight up gross. And I'll leave it there. Let's go to a more exciting news story, at least for Jack. Because we're talking about the UEFA Champions League. We're hopping across the Atlantic. Jack, tell us what happened in the semis and why you're looking forward to the final for some reason. Yeah. I wonder why that could be. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no clue as to why that would be. Let's see if we can figure it out as we go through yes. it. So of course the semifinals happened this past week, uh, specifically the second leg of each of these finals in the first leg, Real Madrid and Chelsea drew one, one at Real Madrid's training ground. since uh, the Bernabeu is under construction, mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic scored a beautiful goal in that one. Oh. And Kareem Benzema scored, uh, a, goal, a goal that was just as good, honestly, yes. uh, in, in the first half as well to make it 1-1. And uh, the other semifinal first leg was PSG versus Man City. PSG went up early to a Marquini, with a Marquinhos header, but a, a red card and two really perplexing goals later, they found themselves down going into the first leg, taking a disappointing home loss into uh, leg two. So the first one that happened was Manchester City versus PSG. And from the get-go, Manchester City just dominated PSG. It didn't look like PSG really looked all that likely to score most of the game, honestly. Uh, it, it was They actually failed to produce a single shot on target during the game, which, which was pretty terrible for PSG. And Manchester City, through a Riyad Mahrez masterclass, 
won out two to zero winners and PSG had a red card for Angel Di Maria as well, which did not help their case at all. So PSG, who were in the final last season, bow out of the competition to Manchester City, who right. everyone thought would bottle it along the way because they always seem to do that. Mm-hmm. But no, they've made it to their first Champions League final. And who joined them, though? So it, it's uh, everyone said after Real Madrid uh, uh, drew against Chelsea that, you know, Real Madrid would show Chelsea levels and that Chelsea are a terrible squad. Timo Werner can't score Who said goals. that? No, I don't think anybody said that. Uh, all over Twitter, man. All over Twitter. I mean, Chelsea, yeah, Twitter, sure. Real Madrid fans everywhere. They, they all said it. But then Chelsea were like, nah, you know what? Timo Werner is going to score. And he did. He scored a tap-in from half a yard out. <laughs> and guess what? It's good enough. It's good enough there. And he, uh, Kai Havertz made a beautiful run after N'Golo Kante stole the ball. He, he absolutely bossed this game, N'Golo Kante, throughout. And Kai Havertz chipped Thibaut Courtois. It came off the crossbar, and Timo Werner just sped in and headed it in for a 1-0 lead. And it, look, it looked likely to stay that way, as Real Madrid didn't really have many great chances. There were a few good saves from Edouard Mendy. Uh, actually, some fantastic ones now that I'm remembering again. But he kept it level, and in the 85th minute, uh, Christian Pulisic latched onto a ball from N'Golo Kante. Perfect run. People thought he should have shot. He kept his patience, crossed it over to Mason Mount, yep. and he scored a beautiful goal right into the top netting in the 85th minute to ice this. And Chelsea make it to their third Champions League final in history. I'm optimistic. The Champions League final is going to be Manchester City versus Chelsea. It's going to be interesting, especially since the game this past weekend where Chelsea bounced back to win 2-1 against City. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens in the final, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, But AJ, I know we're going to talk about this prediction eventually, but who do you think is going to win this Champions League final? Or what do you think will decide this alternatively? Yeah, well, I think what's going to decide this is actually what happened this past weekend. Chelsea not only beat Man City, but West Ham, unfortunately, lost to Everton 1-0. That creates a pretty big cushion for Chelsea between fourth place and fifth place, where they're currently third place. But that means that they're not going to have to put all their effort into getting top four because they have a pretty good lead uh, over West Ham. So that means that they have more time to A, rest players, and B, prepare for the UCL final that's coming up. So I think that's going to be a really big factor when you're when you're comparing these two teams because yes man city has a very comfortable lead uh they're going to win the league but now that chelsea also have a comfortable lead for top four it's going to be pretty even i would say that if i'm a, if i'm a betting man i would put it on i think chelsea but i don't want to jinx it yeah, at least right go. now jack let's i'm go. gonna guess you're gonna you think chelsea's gonna win oh obviously it's yeah. not a doubt not a doubt no okay. I, i'm backing the team all the way backing them all the way can we get an early scoreline from you? An early, I, I have a feeling it's going to be like 1-0. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I think, okay, I think okay. it's going to be very close. It's either going to be 1-0 or like maybe 2-1. I, that, those are the only two scorelines right. I could see happening early. Who, who do you think scores for Chelsea? And I'll, I'll leave it at that with this. Timo Werner. I'm going to say <laughs> it's, it's going to be him. If, you know what? If he scores in the Champions League final, if he scores a winner, I don't care about anything else he did this season. I, he can miss as many as many chances as he missed. He'll go down as a legend for Chelsea. That's fair. He will. Because, you know, winning a Champions League final with a goal after everyone doubted him, 
automatic legend. Automatic. All right. All right. Well, hopefully that happens. Hopefully we can get Christian Pulisic, uh, a UCL assist, maybe? trophy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. An assist. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah. A trophy would be good too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The trophy would be good. It, the, I will say, because we haven't mentioned this, this is going to be one of the Americans on each team is going right. to get a, a medal. We have on one side, Zach Steffen from Man City, who, even though he didn't really play that all that much, he did play a game. And Pep Guardiola has historically given medals to backup goalkeepers because, you know, it's, it's in a very important role. Yeah. And Christian yeah. Pulisic obviously came up huge for Chelsea in the semis. If they win, he gets the trophy as well. So big news for uh, UCL and big news for CCL. We're going to move to the CONCAP Champions League, different type of Champions League now. And just to quickly go over it, because there's not much to really say, uh, a record MLS, five MLS teams enter the quarterfinals in the CONCACAF Champions League. But Columbus lost to Monterey 5-2 on aggregate. Toronto FC lost to Cruz Azul 4-1. Portland lost to Club America 4-2. And Philadelphia Union beat Atlanta United, another MLS team. So it doesn't really count 4-1. Uh, to be fair, these League MX teams are the best teams not only in the league, but in the continent. So it's understandable to lose, but still it doesn't really bode well for MLS who haven't won a CCL in the current iteration. We have RSL, Montreal, Toronto, and LAFC who have reached the final, but after, I don't even know how many additions we've had, still no win for MLS. I'm going to throw it to Jack. Jack, why can't MLS compete in CCL? Why is the gulf between Liga MX and MLS still very, very unsurmountable. Well, I think one of the things, and we talked about this last episode, is like a, a way to make things more fair, but the, the salary gap that yeah. MLS can attract as many big name players. Like one of the big, one big story that we didn't even mention or we're not going to mention Florian Tovan, yep, uh, you know, a French yeah. international, uh, is going to Tigris. And he, like, you know, they're, they're these, these uh, Liga MX teams can attract like major internationals and they can attract big players uh, to, to their clubs because of how, of how like dominant they are. And also they can compete with like salary wise with European teams. And I think that's one of the big reasons why they can compete with that. And uh, the other thing is I, I think they have deeper squads. Like if you look at an MOS team beyond the first 11, it's, it, it gets a bit ropey. It, it, it doesn't look as great as like some of the, uh, some of the, uh, you know, Liga MX teams like Club America. I think in the CONCACAF Champions League, most of the time they could field like their B team and still do pretty well against an A team from MLS yeah. because their squads are that deep. And, and that's the kind of thing that, that you see in, 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 in the CCL. So I think that's why they can't compete. That salary cap, while it is, good for fairness and uh, making sure that things don't get too inflated. It really hurts MLS in continental competitions. Yeah. Even though our salary cap is like growing, we have Tam and we have Gam and we have these DPs. Right. It's still not growing at a level that we can still compete in CCL at, while at the same time competing in MLS. I think Caleb Porter put it the best. Monterey subs in players that would start for every MLS team. Columbus subs in academy and usl guys a higher salary cap and higher spending in general is just needed to compete in order to get deep, these deeper squads something that you didn't mention that i will also add on real quick it's hard to compete when you're still in preseason form i think 
MLS teams haven't really played in six months and then suddenly they're playing three games a week. Like that's nuts. Right. MLS teams and CCL need to start preseason earlier as they did this year. And as someone on Twitter pointed out, go through a rigorous preseason. The MLS teams that do the best in CCL tend to do preseason in Mexico, Central America and South America in order to get used to both the climate and also the playing style that these teams usually employ. MLS's league can also give teams more buys so they don't have to worry about the league during the CCL run. I think that's what MLS did when Montreal Impact back in like 2015 had an insane run. So do stuff like that. Uh, but overall, yeah, salary cap, I think is the biggest thing. Uh, next round is in August, actually, and it's going to be two-legged affairs. Uh, Monterey versus Cruz Azul and also Club America versus Philadelphia Union on the other side. Not very confident in the union. No offense. But let's go to maybe some other bad news. <laughs> uh, the remaining European Super League teams won't back down out of their agreement. And there's some a lot of controversy going on there. Jack, explain to us some more Super League news. Yeah, well, there's two parts to this because uh, we said that some of the Super League clubs won't back down. Those three clubs that aren't backing down are the major backers of this being Juventus, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, the ones who have the most debt, who need who needed this the most. But on the other hand, nine of these clubs have already agreed for a punishment, and that's going to be each of these clubs is donating 15 million euros to charities and will forgo 5% of UEFA revenues that they would receive from uh, any European competitions. Now, for clubs like maybe Arsenal and Tottenham, this might not be as big of a problem, but, uh, you know, it's still it's still a little bit of of money out of out of their pockets and also and i think this is the biggest deal for those nine clubs is that those clubs have agreed to be fined up to 100 million euros if they break uefa commitments again which is massive like the, yeah i i'm a huge nerd for game theory and all that kind of stuff so uh you know the one thing you do to make sure people don't break out of agreements is that a huge financial incentive to cooperate? And that's exactly what they've done. They've made the cost of trying to leave way too high. And so, you know, there's a possibility that this won't happen again for those nine clubs. However, there are still three clubs that are standing firm and saying that they, they want this to happen and they think it should happen. But UEFA isn't backing down either and saying that they are pursuing even more punishment against them. You know, we, we don't know what this punishment is going to be yet because UEFA haven't revealed that. But it could range from something like, you know, banning them from European competition for a few years. And if so, these clubs are pretty much done when it comes to player, uh, player acquisition. And it could be very bad for them financially. And, you know, uh, this is go probably going to set up a long legal fight, if I had to guess. Because oh, yeah. these clubs seem very adamant to say that, you know, they're on the right side of the law and they're going to hire lawyers to make sure that they win any lawsuit, I'm sure. So it's going to be interesting. Definitely a story to watch between uh, UEFA and Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus collectively to see what happens. And, you know, I, if I had to guess, I don't think they're going to get, I, I don't think they're going to get a ban. Mm -hmm. I, honestly, even though I think that would be the most logical thing to do, I don't think it's going to happen because they, UEFA knows they lose revenue without them competing there. And that's the tough part. Uh, so 
a little addendum since I'm editing this on Monday morning and we didn't talk about this in the episode, but breaking news has come out that Juventus will reportedly be kicked out of Syria if they do not withdraw from the European Super League by next season. And that comes from directly from Italian Football Federation President Gabriele Gravina. So it adds another wrinkle to everything here. It could be more significant punishment on the way for the three remaining sides. Real Madrid, Barcelona, we don't know what's going to happen to them, but Juventus, this news is pretty big for them. And in my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's two sides kind of posturing uh, uh, their own side in order to get concessions out of the other. I think Juventus is obviously going to stay in Syria, but this might put more pressure on them to give up some of the power, leave the European Super League first off, but also sign one of the deals like the other nine uh, ESL teams did to make sure that they they never leave their domestic competitions or else face like a hundred million dollar fine. I think that's what this is. I wouldn't read too much into it unless it actually happens. And in which case, that'd be huge. But in my mind, that's the future of this situation. Back to the episode. Uh, AJ, two questions for you on this. Do you think that the punishment for the other nine clubs that have backed down and distanced themselves from the Super League, do you think that's fair? And then what do you think would be a fair punishment for the other clubs that haven't backed down? Mm, yeah, this is a really good question because it's like a really big picture idea towards how we're going to deal with stuff like this in the future. So it's really something to look out for in the future for any of our listeners. I think personally, maybe 5% can be bumped up to 10 to 15% of European revenue. I think I, I always like transfer bans. I always think that like that, that kind of get, gets the, the point across because yes, $100 million is a big deal if they do in the future, but there needs to be like a lot of incentive to make sure that, they know that what they did previously was bad, not just what they could do in the future. So I think maybe a little bit more stricter there in terms of the three that are still in, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus. I would like to see them banned from the Champions League. I know that might not happen, and it's probably not going to happen because we've had precedent with Man City not getting banned. But really, when you think about it, if they don't want to be part of the Champions League, why should they be part of the Champions League, you know? kick them out like morally that's what the yeah. right answer financially for uefa it it's complicated but like you said it's gonna be a long drawn out battle and we will be here right here reporting on it as well going over the big picture of those legal battles jack why don't we get into the real quick section we have some stories to go over real quickly as the name suggests so take it away with the first one yeah, well, this uh, today, as we're recording this on Sunday, the FA Women's Super League season wraps up. After 22 games, Chelsea have won back-to-back FA Women's Super League titles. And on the other hand, uh, uh, Bristol City have been relegated to the Women's Championship division. Uh, at the end of the day, Samantha Kerr, who was, I think, played for Chicago Red Stars, if I'm remembering correctly, so. ends up the golden boot winner in the FAWSL with 21 goals in 22 go. games. That is impressive and makes her a big threat going into the Olympics. And I think Australia is in the same group as um, as uh, as the U.S., if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. I- uh, I have another uh, qu- real quick story we're talking about from one women's league 
to another one. We were talking about the NWSL. Portland Thorns have won the NWSL Challenge Cup. The Thorns and New Jersey slash New York Gotham FC met in Providence Park. Both teams won their respective five-team groups. Christine Sinclair, Canada legend, 37 years old, still bagging them in, scored early to put the Thorns up. But Carly Lloyd, American legend, 38 years old, I think, tied it up. So it went to penalties. Both Portland and Gotham missed a pair of penalties early on. But the clincher was Gotham's Nahomi Kawasumi getting her penalty saved by Portland's goalkeeper, Franch. The Challenge Cup was pretty exciting. I watched some of them on uh, Paramount+. Plus. Uh, we'll be covering the NWSL more as their regular season gets going. I feel like it's going to be a lot more easy to get into the season as it's not going to be like a, a kind of a weird tournament f- format. So keep in mind that we are going to be covering that in our predictions and stuff coming up. Uh, another real quick story. It's weird that we're not talking about this in our big stories, but you know, it's Bayern winning the Bundesliga and it's happened so many times before Dortmund beat RB Leipzig three, two. So Bayern have won their, I think 30th Bundesliga title, which is more than all the other teams combined. So it's just another just another Sunday for Bayern Munich. So we're not going to go into uh, exactly why they're so dominant. We've been talking about that the past couple of weeks. So uh, good job to Bayern. And hopefully Jesse Marsh and RB Leipzig can win. But we're going to talk about a league that's a bit more exciting than the Bundesliga. We're going to go to Jack's lower league lowdown with the EFL championship. Jack, why don't you take it away? To start off with, you know, I think the lower leagues are some of the more exciting leagues in England, certainly, because they have some of the craziest stories, some of the biggest games, and some of, and it feels like anyone can beat anyone. And that's not always the case in these top league, in these top leagues. So just going back to last week's story where I went over potential playoff scenarios in the championship, those have been set uh, with uh, Barnsley's, they moved up to fifth place. They're going to be playing Swansea. Uh, in Wembley for the semifinal. And Brentford are going to be playing Bournemouth, probably who I would say are the two favorites. I actually predicted them to both be in the playoff final. So that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, if I had to guess here, I think it's going to be Brentford versus Barnsley in the Ooh. playoff final because Swansea don't look like the best team in the world right now. And Barnsley look pretty good. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, but if it does come up to it, I, I'm going for Brentford to get promoted. But what I really want to talk about is the EFL uh, championship relegation race, because I talked about this a little bit and how crazy it was going to be on the final day. Well, it certainly was. It was, uh, I, was I, I got up early. I got up at 6.30 to follow this. Uh-huh. It was crazy. It changed nearly every minute it felt like, but it changed a lot. So how uh, the two games that were big, were Rotherham versus Cardiff and Sheffield Wednesday versus Derby County. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday with a win, if Rotherham drew or lost, would have escaped. Derby County, if they drew or, or won against Sheffield United, would escape, given that Rotherham also lost. And Rotherham just needed to win and hope uh, uh, Derby County lost or drew, and they would have uh, gone out on goal differential. And it got off to a great start for Rotherham because they scored an eighth-minute goal against Cardiff, which put them up in 21st, escaping relegation at that moment on goal differential. But just before halftime, Sheffield Wednesday took the lead against Derby County in the 45th plus third minute, putting them in 22nd, close to safety. And then seven minutes after halftime, 
Darby County scored two goals to put them in the lead and closer wow. still to safety, which put them up to 21st. Rotherham went down to 22nd and Sheffield Wednesday went down to 23rd. But then 17 minutes later, Sheffield Wednesday had scored two more goals to propel them against Darby County again, which meant they were, were close to salvation. But a defensive lapse from Sheffield uh, Wednesday led to a late penalty kick, a 78th minute one, which was converted and the game ended 3-3 before the Cardiff versus, uh, versus Rotherham game ended. Darby County were still in 22nd place since Rotherham had a better goal differential. Darby County looked likely to go down because of the Rotherham results, but Cardiff came to their rescue as Marlon Pack scored in the 89th minute to draw wow. with Rotherham, which saw Rotherham drop down to 23rd and Darby County achieved safety. So this was an absolute crazy weekend. It, it, it was it was really cool to yeah, watch it all. Congrats, oh, Wayne Rooney. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he went on a terrible run. He lost <laughs> seven in a row and drew on the final day, but it was enough ultimately. But so overall, the table ended up with Darby County in 21st on 44 points, Wickham in 22nd with 43 points, Rotherham in 23rd with 42 points, and Sheffield Wednesday in last place with 41 points. Three points separated last from 21st, which just shows you how competitive this division is. Uh, but yeah, that that's it just and on an ending note for that. That's why I like watching the championship. These are the crazy storylines that unfold, and it's incredible to watch them all in real time. So that is the lower league lowdown. Tune in next week where hopefully I'll talk about some two Bundesliga stuff because that season is wrapping up quickly. Dude, I'm, I'm going to be really excited for these uh, playoffs because A, we're going to hopefully preview them in our predictions section. And also we have some teams that have USMNT players, Daryl DK with Barnsley, Bournemouth, they have Cameron Carter Vickers. So keep an eye out for that USMNT fans and keep an eye out for the USMNT corner, which let's just get into right now. We're going to talk about something that's coming up real quick, and that's Nation League roster. Not just Nation Leagues, but to an extent, Gold Cup as well. Because like I've been saying, you can't send the roster that you send to the Nations League also to the Gold Cup. So we need to split them up. The Nations League window is actually four games, two friendlies and the two actual games. Begins May 30th away in Switzerland, then Honduras and Mexico or Costa Rica in the Nations League and Costa Rica in Utah. CONCACAF Gold Cup is a maximum of six games because it is a tournament. But the question is, who do we take to which tournament? I've already said which tournament we should prioritize, and that's the Nations League because it's new and a bit shorter, giving our veterans more time to rest. But Burhalter has repeatedly stated that he's using these tournaments to evaluate players, get them integrated, and you know get fitness levels and tactics right before the long World Cup qualifying tournament. So who do we send where to maximize their utility and get them valuable playing time? Some things to keep in note, Stefan and Pulisic are not going to the Switzerland friendly due to Champions League final uh, being on May 29th, so they won't be able to make it there. Uh, number two, you can get more playing time as a first stringer at the Gold Cup than a second stringer at the Nations League. If we really care about getting some of these guys playing time, even if they are you know, someone who will be in our best 23, we can start them in the Gold Cup and get them some more valuable playing time. Uh, so we might see Matt Turner, who's probably the number two option for the USMNT, go to the Gold Cup just because Zach Steffen's going to probably start as many games as possible in the Nations League. 
at the same time, the Nations League guys aren't going to start every single game. So in certain positions, backups might get some more significant minutes. So I'm going to go position by position, really, for the Nations League and the Gold Cup and explain why these players should be where. So with goalkeepers in the Nations League, so we're starting out the Nations League, obviously we have Zach Steffen, but because he and Pulisic aren't going to make it to uh, the first game, I also have Matt Turner backing him up, and he can get some significant minutes for Switzerland, which is good because I'd love to see Matt Turner actually with the first team. Third stringer, Ethan Horvath, nothing much to say there. For defenders, we obviously have our strongest front four, uh, back four actually, Sergino Dest, Anthony Robinson, John Brooks, and Chris Richards, I think. Even though they, they might not be the out-and-out first stringers, I think that they are definitely going to be there and they're going to play a significant amount of minutes at the Nations League. Uh, also getting some significant minutes at the Nations League, I think Aaron Long and Reggie Cannon are going to get at least some minutes. It's not really usual to sub in defenders, so I, I, I don't think they're going to get as much playing time, at least in official competition. And then Tim Ream as well. He's uh, one of Burhalter's guys. He's a veteran, so I think he'll play there. Midfielders, we have the obvious uh, mid midfield three, Weston McKenney, Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams. Behind that, it gets a little, maybe a little iffy on who we actually take. I think Jackson Ewell, I don't think Tyler Adams is going to, I think Tyler Adams is going to play most of the games. So I don't think he's going to get a lot of playing time, but I think we are going to rely on the backups for McKenney and Musa, Wives, Legette, and Kellen Acosta. I think they bring in some good experience that can back up in the midfield. Wingers and forwards, obviously Christian Pulisic, he's not going to be able to play a lot. So I think backing him up is going to be Brendan Aronson, who's been really, really good for RB Salzburg. Gio Reyna's on the right side, backing him up is Tim Weah. I think, especially with wingers and forwards, they get subbed out a lot. So we're going to see some uh, some split minutes between these guys. For the strikers, I have Josh Sargent on top, obviously. And second, Daryl DK. I think if Barnsley make it to the championship promotion final, it's going to be a bit iffy if he can play the the final uh, uh, friendly before the Nations League. But hopefully get some good playing time there. I think he'll be good. Jossie Sardis is uh, third. Yeah, actually, Jack just uh, mentioned something real quick. Sargent is in the Bundesliga relegation playoff if Werder Bremen continue to do poorly which let's be honest they have been really poor so we might even see josh Sargent. so we might be seeing jossie's artist or potentially someone like jordan siabachu or uh any one of our other strikers sebastian soda perhaps so it's really iffy with those strikers but if all things go to plan we'll have at least josh Sargent and jossie's artist and potentially daryl dk moving on to the gold cup uh when we're really balancing out who we want at the Gold Cup, obviously I sent most of the, the first stringers to the Nations League to get experience. Gold Cup, it's more about A, obviously winning, but B, getting some really quality playing time, evaluating the players. So for goalkeeper, I have Matt Turner because he needs to get as much minutes with the, the, the first or second team as possible because he's going to be our second choice goalkeeper, at least in my mind. Next, I had David Ochoa. Uh, USMNT fans love him, Minnesota United fans, not as much, but he's a very good goalkeeper and he's pretty young. So I think we sent him there. Sean Johnson has been consistently the second or third string goalkeeper for US men's national team. So I say send him as well for some veteran leadership. Defenders at the Gold Cup. I had DeAndre Yedlin. We haven't seen a lot of him recently, but he's been playing pretty well for Galatasaray. Sam Vine, same story, but with Colorado Rapids. 
And then Mark McKenzie and Matt Miazga, some people might get on my case for not sending them to the Nations League. But I think because they're going to get more playing time in the Gold Cup, it's really good for them to play here because it gets them actual like playing time together because I view them as the second or third tier uh, center backs for us. Uh, we also have just, just backups for defenders. Brian Reynolds, uh, I think it's good for him to get some playing time after kind of a, a rough start to Roma, but he's really young. So getting him some quality playing time at the Gold Cup would be good. Eric Palmer-Brown and Miles Robinson as center back subs. Not much to say about that. Midfielders, this is where it gets really interesting because obviously we don't want to send Musa McKenney and Adams to the Gold Cup. So I have Jackson Ewell as the number six. Luca Della Torre, who US Menti fans have really loved recently, played really well in the Eredivisie. And either Sebastian Legit or Julian Green. Julian Green's not a player that we have really talked about recently, but he's been playing really good for, I think it's Greuther Firth in the second Bundesliga. I'm sure Jack's going to mention that team next week for the second Bundesliga talk. But either one of them can be really good creative midfielders, workhorses in the midfield. So I think getting a good look at them, getting some quality playing time for them, especially Julian Green, could be really good. Uh, behind those guys, I had Paxton Pomacall and Owen Odesoe, some really good players who are relatively young that can get some split uh, sub minutes uh, for the Gold Cup. The wingers and forwards, I had, it's kind of really hard to see who we're going to take here. Not a lot of talent outside of uh, the starters. I had Jossi Zardes. I think he's going to be our third string or second string striker. So getting him some time there. Chris Mueller's right wing or maybe in Paul Areola and the likes of either Conrad De La Fuente or Nicholas Giochini. I think for a variety of reasons, either of these choices could be good for any of these positions. Just because you just want to get some minutes. They're either young or they're some veterans that need some more minutes. Then behind Giassi Zardes, I'd see Abachu and Sebastian Soto. See Abachu, I'm pretty high on, so I'd like to see him here and get some more minutes. But Sebastian Soto, interchangeable with any other striker, in my opinion. But it's kind of really hard to see who we take. So I think we're going to have a, an extended Gold Cup camp just to have as many players as possible and to see who can fill out some of these uh, backup spots. That, But I think those are the rosters that we need to in order to really get the most out of getting players play, playing time and also to evaluate how good they are with each other. Nations League, obviously, we sent our, our first team, but we sent some of our second stringers and some of the players who need some more playing time, whether they're not, whether they still have a good club situation right now, or alternatively, whether or not they uh, just need some more playing time because they're prospects. The Nations League roster is set to come out very, very soon. So I'll have one of these US Menti corners reacting to that and seeing if I was right. But that's how I see it. If you have any uh, opinions about this, if you think I'm wrong, tweeted us at Final Third Show. Uh, blame it all on AJ. And with that, that's the US Menti corner. Let's get into last week's predictions. They were pretty big, uh, some pretty big games. So Jack, with predictions, why don't you tell us how the scoring system works? Yeah, so you get 10 points for getting the right winner correct, and you get 20 points if you get the exact scoreline correct along with that but you get zero points for getting nothing right, obviously. So that's how the scoring works for this. So uh, AJ, why don't you kick it off with oh, yeah. a CCL match, Club America versus Portland Timbers. Sure thing, Jack. So Portland gave it their all, but came up short. By most metrics, they were behind Club America in chances created, in shots on target, and most importantly, in goals. 
but a Venus brace put Club America up 2-0 and 3-1 on aggregate. However, a Valeri penalty brought Portland just one goal away from taking the tie. But unfortunately, a 70th minute Suarez goal, not that Suarez, obviously, won it for Club America 4-2 on aggregate. Portland were really pounding on their doorstep in all, in all honesty in the last 10 minutes, but Club America had to park the bus and ultimately just wasn't enough from Portland. Maybe the gap isn't closing between MLS and Liga MX after all. We talked about that a little bit, but overall, I said it's going to be 3-1 to Club America. Got it right on the dot. I wasn't even thinking that could be possible, but got there. Jack's at 2-1, so he gets 10 points. Obviously, since I got it right, got 20 points from that. Let's go on to a matchup that we're going to be seeing next week as well. Borussia Dortmund versus RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Really exciting match. Jack, take it away. Yeah, well, Dortmund had this game started off really well with Marco Roy scoring a really great goal just seven minutes in, smashing it into the top of the net. And just five minutes after halftime, Jaden Sancho added to Dortmund's lead, making it 2-0. to zero. However, Leipzig wasn't going down without a fight, and Klosterman scored a headed goal in the 63rd minute. And just uh, 14 minutes later, Danny Olmo scored a pretty simple tap-in from across in the 77th minute, having beaten... Roman Berkey, who had to get subbed in for Marwin Hertz, who or Martin Hertz, not Marwin, sorry, uh, who uh, who went down with an injury. However, Jaden Sancho was the hero for Dortmund in their quest to get the Champions League, with a goal in the 87th minute to win it for Dortmund. This result held extra significance as well as it secured Bayern Munich as champions once Ooh. again and put Dortmund into the UCL places once again where they probably rightfully belong. Uh, but anyway, this, this game ended 3-2 to two to Dortmund. AJ predicted an RB Leipzig win 1-2. He gets zero points. I predicted a 2-1 to one win for 10 points there. Nice. Oh, and the 2-1 the win was for Dortmund, obviously. I yeah. uh, <laughs> should probably clarify that. Yeah, so now let's move on to Across the Pond. Uh, another big matchup, LA Galaxy versus LAFC. In MLS, this is El Trafico, the biggest rivalry in recent MLS history. And what an advertisement for MLS. It was a back-and-forth match with 28 total shots between the two teams. LA Galaxy started off strong with a Chicharito goal. LAFC bounced back in the second half with a Rossi goal, but a dramatic Jonathan Dos Santos winner sealed the deal for the Galaxy to win 2-1, to th- one, or yes, 2-1. to one. If you want to rewatch a game this weekend or watch for the first time, make it this one. Vela was out which could have changed the game, but it was still pretty exciting. But that just means that we have more to look forward to in the next El Cla- uh, not El Clasico, El Trafico. <laughs> MLS is El Clasico. We both said that LA Galaxy would win. We both predicted correctly on that. However, I had it as a 4-3 scoreline. Jack had it a 3-2 scoreline. So a little bit off, but we still get 10 points, the both of us. Uh, Jack, one of the biggest matchups in terms of importance for a, a league race Maybe not so much in overall excitement, but Jack, this is Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid. What did you see? Oh, what do you mean? This the Suarez Messi reunion was just so exciting. Definitely lived up to standards. Definitely yeah. lived up to what everyone yeah. thought it would be. Not at all. Uh, this <laughs> this was a boring match. It was boring. I I can't believe people actually watched all the way through this. Uh, <laughs> Barcelona definitely had the better chances of the game with Messi going close several times and Dembele, Dembele absolutely scuffing a perfect chance 
just minutes from full time. Barcelona actually had the ball in the back of the net once with Araujo heading in across from Jordi Alba, but he was offside during that. Atletico's attackers just were not on the same page tonight. Joao Felix and Luis Suarez, they tried some one-two passes, but they just seemed off the pace every time, off cue. And, uh, you know, it, it just looked really frustrating. But they did put in a very solid defensive shift to get a first camp no, no clean, clean sheet in 16 years, oh. which is very significant. And, you know, it, it's also really, uh, really notable because with this result, Atletico Madrid stave off Barcelona to say, stay, ah, to stay at top <laughs> of the La Liga table with only three matches left to play, I believe. So that's pretty massive. They're just two points ahead of second. But AJ predicted a draw. He predicted a 1-1 draw, which would have been a lot more exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, than what we saw for 10 points. I said Barcelona would win this. I was close to getting 1-0 if only offside didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, But I get zero points for that. Yeah. Liga's going to be one league to follow the next three weeks because it's going to be crazy. Uh, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid all have shouts at winning the title. I think Atletico Madrid is the more likely of the four overall. But let's move on to a league that's already wrapped up, but the top four race is very exciting. It's Juventus and Milan in Serie A. AC Milan master class. A three-goal run by Diaz, Rebic, and Tamori put the away side up by three. And center back and Chelsea Loney, I think Jack actually put that in the notes. Tamori also was extremely dominant defensively, rendering Cristiano Ronaldo useless. Frank Kessie? Kessie? Sure. Frank Kessie. Frank Kessie. Oops, I forgot that there's a C in there. Whatever. Was huge in the midfield, even if he missed the penalty that could have put the game away earlier. They have now a better head-to-head record against Juventus, which means they are in a better position to get top four, even if they're even on points with Juve, because I think that is the tiebreaker. This has, Because of that, this has huge implications for Serie A, top four, as Atalanta and AC Milan are both even on 72 points. Napoli is fourth with 70, and Juventus is face-to-face with the Europa League in fifth with only 69 points. Yes. Nicely done yes. by AC Milan. Not so nicely done by Juventus. Jack and I both didn't think that Milan was going to win. I said that Juventus was going to win 1-0. Jack said it was going to be a 1-1 draw. We both get zero points, but I think Jack's going to like Juventus losing oh, and I, Atalanta getting a little bit it. more of a cushion in top four more. You know, Is that true, Jack? Yeah, yeah you know, any 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 week where Juventus loses is just a great week for me. I... Juventus is one of the very few teams that I absolutely hate to to see win anything. So that 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 is that that is a fun fact there. But yeah, I I'm I'm just happy that they look more likely to be in the Europa League than Champions League, and I hope that's the case. Yep. Andre Pirlo, eat your heart out, and Jack, eat your heart out because guess what? Ugh. I won this week. I finished with 40 points. Jack finished with 30. That brings our record to, for me, six wins, 11 losses, and one tie. Jack, six wins, nine losses, and three ties. Jack, how do you feel about this? And are you looking forward for this next coming week? Yeah, you know what? I'm looking forward to to, uh, this next week. And it's a bit of a setback, but, you know, I I had to let you catch up a little bit, you know. (laughs) This was all all a mastermind play. This is a, a, a masterclass, you know. 
That's what it is. All yeah. right. Well, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We're also hoping to get some more guests on for predictions now that we're not having to worry about school, but for this week and potentially for a couple more weeks, we're by ourselves once more. So let's get into this week's predictions. The first game is one where you wouldn't think would be a huge game, but it is. It's San Jose Earthquakes versus Seattle Sounders in MLS. Because San Jose won this week and Seattle Sounders did as well, they are now top of the table, not just in the Western Conference, but in MLS as a whole. Seattle Sounders obviously are a good team, but San Jose to be up here is insane. And now they're playing each other midweek this Wednesday in MLS. It's going to be crazy. These are my factors. San Jose had a cracking start to the season, getting 10 goals in their opening four matches thanks to the likes of Cowell, Ewell, and Wando. But Seattle are in, on an even better start, getting 10 goals and only conceding one goal. To me, Seattle are pound for pound better than San Jose. They have Rui Diaz, Stefan Fry, both the Roldans, Nuhu, Lodero is back getting back into fitness. Just some of the best in MLS. The X factor for me is Seattle are just as a whole better. And San Jose, if you look at their fixtures the past couple of weeks, have not had a real test. So even though it is going to be in San Jose, I'm having Seattle win this one to zero. Jack, who's going to take this early matchup of Giants? Yeah, well, my thinking is pretty similar along the lines of yours. They both have scored 10 goals. Scoring goals isn't the problem, but defense lets San Jose down way too much. They've conceded five goals. Seattle only conceding one. I think what's going to happen in this is it's going to be a two-to-one win for Seattle Sounders. Ultimately, that defense is just too much of a liability for San Jose right now compared to Seattle, who seem to be doing fantastically this season. So I'm saying two-to-one for Seattle. All right. All right. Now, let's move on to maybe a little bit more of a prestigious matchup. It's going to be RB Leipzig versus Borussia Dortmund. DFB Pokal final this Thursday, I believe. They played last week, and it ended 2-3-2 Dortmund. However, this is in a neutral site, and even though Dortmund did win, they did look pretty shaky, as Jack did mention uh, just now. But if Sancho can get firing, I think Dortmund could win. Dortmund haven't lost to Leipzig in now seven matches. Seven their players have been here and they've done it before. For me, it comes down to Dortmund's run of form recently, five wins in a row. And this is also without Holland. If Holland comes back and the likes of Nkuku and Tyler Adams are still out for uh, RB Leipzig, it's going to make it a lot harder. That's not even to mention, I think Jude Bellingham was uh, had a red card suspension in the last game. So he's going to be coming back for this too. This, In my mind, I think this is going to be a Dortmund win. I have him down as two to one over our, our Rosin Ballin, Leipzig. Jack, who is taking this DFB Pokal final? Yeah, I, I have a very similar conclusion to you. Oh, right now, on. Sancho <laughs> and Royce are just really good right now. Royce is seeming like he's back to his best. And he is doing amazingly for, for Dortmund right now. And Jaden Sancho has somehow found his shooting boots after a very slow start to the season. And I, I think that you know, just because uh, of this being a, a cup final and maybe Leipzig, Leipzig don't, don't have much to play for anymore. Even then, I think they're, go- they're missing too many pieces. And Dortmund look very complete, which is shocking given the start to the season. I'm going Leipzig zero to Dortmund two. Oh, wow. So I think that this is going to be uh, a shutout for, for Dortmund. Uh, that, that might be a big call since their defense has let them down, but I'm going to go for it. 
Yeah, that's definitely going to bite us in the back, and it's going to be RB Leipzig winning like five to zero, whatever. Oh my god! Let's go to two teams that we haven't really talked about too much this season in the prediction section, kind of because they haven't been on top of their respective leagues. But this is the Roma Derby. This is Derby della Capitale. Yeah, probably not how you pronounce it all, Jack. Who do you think is going to win between Roma and Lazio? Uh, well, see, neither of these teams are all that good this season. Uh, they, they both have done very well scoring goals, but their defenses have been very, very poor. Uh, just going off of recent form, though, I'm going to go with Roma winning this just because, you know, Lazio did have a red card in their past game this weekend. Uh, Andreas Pereira will be out of this match and while he's not always uh, like, you know, their starter, he can play a big part. And given that Shiro Mobile just hasn't been hitting form, hasn't been hitting in goals recently, and Roma have looked decent enough, even taking down Manchester United and putting five past Cortona, I'm saying that Roma are going to win this one. And I think it's going to be a three to two, a fiery mm. little, a fiery little derby, which means it's going to be zero zero as yeah. we know. I might, I might change my answer now. No, I'm not. Uh, lots of you have been on top of this rivalry for the past couple of years. Roma, some good players. Mkhitaryan, Dzeko, most people will know them, but they're missing nine players in total right now. So they're missing quite a few to injury of varying importance to the team. Meanwhile, Lazio have uh, Milinkovic, Savic, Immobile, Korea. Is that not, is that how I pronounce it? Whatever. <laughs> they're all so many mispronunciations so yeah. many. <laughs> that's kind of our thing now but they're all healthy to me the x factor is i think jack you might be overhyping the past couple of results because as you mentioned crotona is the bottom of the league yeah, i know I'm, and I know. manchester united they had the tie locked up at that point where roma took the 3-2 win so it wasn't like they're playing for too much even if they lost 3-2 they lost uh they won Manchester United, the tie. So right. if you look beyond those two results, Roma's run of results have not been that great. In fact, they've been kind of free-falling in the league uh, beyond that due to injuries and some mismanagement. So I'm having it as a, as a, a stringent Lazio win, 1-0. to zero. We'll see how that turns out. Let's move on to Chelsea versus Leicester City in the mm-hmm. FA Cup final. Huge, huge, huge matchup for both these sides. Leicester City can get their first FA Cup win. Chelsea can add to an already large trophy case. Jack, as a Chelsea fan, I'm going to let you take this. Who? Yeah. Who? Yeah, who? Uh, Well, here's how I see it. Uh, Chelsea, this past weekend, some of the best uh, play they've had all season. Coming from behind to beat Manchester City, the champions-elect of England, is no small feat. And they did it with mostly their second team, which means they rested a lot of their first team players. That is not the case for Leicester, who had a very disappointing home loss to Newcastle, where mm-hmm. they were scored against four times, including uh, uh, like, and it, it hasn't been good for them. They also are missing arguably one of their defenders of the year, who is Johnny Evans. He's been forgotten and not talked about as much as like Wesley Fofana or Kaglar Soyuncu but he's just as good and his loss is very much felt. I am backing Chelsea to win this one. I, I think Mason Mount w- was giving a complete rest in, at, at the weekend. I think he's going to be up and ready for this. Thiago Silva, same thing. I think Chelsea win this one pretty comfortably with a 2-0 win. 
And, you know, I, I'm hoping that's the case because I want some silverware. I'm sure you do. Chelsea, now that I, I mentioned this, because they don't have to worry about top four as much because they're actually third right now, they don't have as much on their plate. They have to play Arsenal, Leicester, and Aston Villa. So it's not the easiest of schedules. But at the same time, they can put as much effort in the FA Cup final, do at least kind of well in the league, and still finish top four. Leicester need to do well in the next couple of games because they are fourth. And even though they have a good cushion against West Ham, anything can happen, especially when they have to play United, Chelsea, and Spurs. Not an easy schedule at all. So they have a lot more on their plate, and Chelsea have time to relax, time to really focus on this matchup. Like you said, they are said Mason Mounts. Leicester have been playing pretty well with Ayanacho, Vardy, and Evans playing really well. However, they haven't been playing well against good opposition consistently, only weaker sides. Meanwhile, Chelsea have been dominant against very talented teams, including just this past weekend against Man City. I think they have what it takes, given their focus more on like the finals more than the, the league and the fact that they just have, in my mind, better talent. I have them winning actually 3-1. to one, So, okay. Bit more confident in terms of goal scoring. I think Nacho can or Vardy can score a goal, but I think it's going to be a comfortable Chelsea win. Fingers crossed for Christian Pulisic, though. Fingers crossed he can get some more silverware. Uh, but another Chelsea team that could get silverware, not Chelsea, the men's team in the Champions League final, but the women's team in the Champions League final. Jack, because this is another Chelsea team in the UWCL final, I'm gonna let you take this one. This one's so tough because yeah. these are both the best teams in their countries. That that's just that's just it. Chelsea are the best in England. Barcelona are the best in Spain. Overall, though, I I might be blinded at, by this, but I can't I can't <laughs> I, I I think that Barcelona player for player might have a better squad than Chelsea. Okay. But I am I like like you said with the West Ham versus Chelsea game. No matter what I think. I will not feel right if I do not back Chelsea <laughs> in the in their first Women's Champions League final. I will not feel right if I don't back them. And because of that, I'm going to say they win it one to two. I think they have good goal scores. Fran Kirby, amazing. Samantha Kerr, amazing. Uh, Bethany England, the top goal scorer in the FA Women's Super League history. Pernilla Harder. They've got a great squad, and I think they can do this. They also had an impressive win over Bayern Munich in the semifinal. Amazing. Four to one. Absolutely dominated them. I think they can do the same to Barcelona. I'm hoping so, at least, because I, I want half the prophecy of both of the teams winning the Champions League to be fulfilled in the same season. That would be incredible. <sighs> I'm hoping for it. I know you're probably going to disagree with me and tell me why I'm wrong, but you can't stop my blind hope. <laughs> I can't. I won't, because I really I really appreciate some homerism in our podcast. I, th- I think that brings a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a, a nice ring to the podcast because you can't have a pure, pure, uh, neutral speculation all the time. I had the exact opposite scoreline. I had a yeah, 2-1 for Barcelona. <laughs> Both of them won their leagues. Chelsea won the WSL. Barcelona won the Premier Division with a 100% win rate, mind you, yep. with yep. <laughs> a huge, huge goal difference. Both pretty yep. dominant sides. Barcelona have very good players in Hermoso, in Martins. Chelsea have among the best in the world. You mentioned Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, Bethany England. The kicker for me is that not only have Barcelona only had to focus on the UWCL because they have the league pretty much wrapped up in 
freaking December pretty much. But their run to the final was a little bit more impressive for me than Chelsea. Chelsea beat Bayern and Wolfsburg, which are, you know, are good, but it's not like the German sides are huge, huge uh, historical winners. I mean, yes, Wolfsburg and Bayern are very, very good. But at least right now, I, I don't think they're as dominant as, let's say, beating PSG, the current leaders of Division One in France, and Ban City, who are second place in a very competitive WSL. So that's why I think Barcelona, on top of being dominant in their own league, were also dominant over these other good women's sides. So that's why I had them win over Chelsea. I think either way, I could see it happening, but I'm just going to put my money on Barcelona winning 2-1. to one. Jack, you're kind of laughing. Do you think I'm wrong? Do you think it's going to no, be Chelsea? I, there's just one thing. You, you said that Wolfsburg are not exactly the biggest side. I know they, I know the, they're they dominant. Were the, they were in the... You, the women's champions league final last year they lost but you know they've been in the the finalists in 2013 2014 2016 2018 all i'm saying you could be right i i think barcelona are fantastic but all i'm saying is don't is don't underrate what chelsea's path was don't right, underrate right. it I, and especially I, since bayern took them out like twice in a row so it okay it was it was good for from a chelsea perspective it was very good all right. I All understand right. why it's not from a neutral. Perspective. Well, well, this is going to I think this might be the most exciting matchup of, of the of the week just because we, we I think so. We predicted opposite results for this. So we'll see. We'll see. Jack, how are you feeling about the predictions overall this week? Uh, I'm feeling good. I think my blind hope might kill me, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm All still right. going to back it, but I think the blind hope might be the downfall. All right. I'm feeling pretty good, too. Hopefully I can continue my win rate. But Jack, that is the end of the final third podcast for this week. Do you have anything to tell our listeners? Uh, make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram at final third show on both those platforms. We'll be posting a lot more. You'll probably notice a massive spike in tweets <laughs> from last week to this week as we transition away from final stress to summer happiness and excitement and, and freedom basically. And yes. so you'll probably, you'll probably see a lot more of that. So you, that me, uh, the listeners, will get a lot more engagement on there if you follow us there. We're almost to 100 followers on there. So, you know, check it out. It's a fun time. It's a fun time. Yes, yes. Give us a follow there. Also, leave a rating. That always, always helps on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. Always good for us. Tell a friend even. We've had some good growth recently, so hopefully we can get some, some even more higher levels of growth by you telling a friend, telling your dad, even I'm sure he would love to hear this podcast. We'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. I'll, I'll be a lot happier. I know Jack has some exams still, but I'll be a lot happier because my finals will be done by then. But that is all for today. We'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place for next week's predictions and news episode. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>